BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world, on your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. Wow, I'm looking at this YouTube outage map. It's the Northeast and the New York area. You wonder, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is the speculation that, or not speculation, the assertion by our intelligence agencies that while Donald Trump was in Vietnam negotiating with Kim, the North Korean government was actively trying to hack oil companies in Houston and banks in New York, as well as the U.S. government very, very actively. One of these groups actually got inside one of the North Korean servers and watched them in real time hacking us while Trump was talking to Kim. Which raises the question, what's it going to take for Republicans to realize that Trump's a con man and a liar and that he's been gaslighting them? What's it going to take for Republicans to turn on Donald Trump? What's it going to take for Republicans to focus on what's right for America? I honestly don't know the answer to this question. What do you think it would take? with any other politician, Gary Hart went down in flames because it was alleged that he had an affair with Donna Rice. And now it looks like that might even be something that was set up by a Republican operative. Roger Stone had something to do with it, that Gary Hart was the candidate that the Republicans most feared that year. And so they took him down. I mean, we know that Nixon did this to Ed Muskie, sent you know chuck colson out there to play dirty tricks on ed, ed muskie and he ended up you know blubbering in the snow about his wife what's it going to take the washington post today the headline this is just the simple headline and this is today's paper president trump has made 9014 false or misleading claims over 773 days yesterday was the 773rd day of his presidency it was the fourth biggest day for lies. Yesterday, he told 140 or 104 lies on March 3rd. First year in office, he averaged uh, about six lies a day. In his second year in office, he was hitting 16 and a half lies a day. And now in 2019, he's averaging 22 lies a day. I mean, I remember when the Republican Party was outraged, outraged. Because Barack Obama lied to us. He said, if you like your health insurance, you can keep it. And that's only going to be true for about 95% of Americans. 
And they were just like, you know, Obama lied. You know, this is terrible. You've got Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, tweeting that if it's true that Trump had ordered Gary Cohn when he was the economic policy advisor, that Trump ordered him to tell the Department of Justice to block the merger of AT&T and Time Warner because Time Warner owns CNN and he was PO'd at CNN. And George Conway, Kellyanne's husband, is tweeting this morning that if that's true, it's an impeachable offense. Graphic up at the top of DU this morning, you know, Democrats versus Republicans on the issues. It's brilliant. The Democrats, we want to improve public education. We want universal preschool. We want to slash student debt. We want to lower the cost for higher education. That's the middle of the road Democratic position. Republicans. Democrats want to take away your trucks and hamburgers. Democrats, we want to protect the environment, combat climate change, invest in renewable energy sources. Republicans, Democrats' green policies will lead to cannibalism. Seriously. I mean, they've got the, they've got the, the sources there. That's in the National Review. Democrats, universal affordable quality health care, protect Social Security and Medicare, have a strong safety net. Republicans. Democrats want to take babies home and kill them. That's a quote from Mike Pence. Last week, Democrats raise the minimum wage, make the, make, make the richest Americans and corporations pay their fair share in taxes. Republicans, Democrats want to build trains to Hawaii. This is something Trump said two days ago. It's like, it's, it's a con. It's a scam. There's, I mean, back in the 80s, they at least had this pretense that they had, quote, new ideas. Right? We have the Laffer Curve that he drew on the back of a napkin. And Ronald Reagan based an entire tax policy on it. Well, it was really based on Jude Wodinski's old two Santa Claus theory. You know, run up the debt when, when Republicans are in office. Scream about the debt when Democrats are in office. Real simple. Force the Democrats to shoot their Santa Claus of, you know, Social Security, Medicare, unemployment insurance, all those other. But we can't afford it. Make sure that the question that is always asked, this was Jude, Jude Wininski back in 1976, saying, make sure that the, this is not a verbatim quote, but it's the essence of what he was saying. Make sure that the question that is always asked whenever Democrats propose anything that's going to help people, in other words, whenever Democrats try to be Santa Claus, the question you need to ask, the question you need to make sure is asked is, well, how are we going to pay for that? We've got this enormous debt. I mean, the Republicans are saying, we don't want to see Trump's tax returns. For two years, they controlled the House and the Senate. Any one of those committees could have said, you know, we'd like to see his tax returns. What's this guy up to? No, we don't want to see his tax returns. Ken Tuck posts over at DU this morning. They don't want to hear from witnesses that validate Trump's criminality. They don't want to talk about how gross and evil their party has become. This is literally, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Meanwhile, Trump is out there talking about how wonderful coal is, and we need to expand coal, and we need to build more coal plants, and we need more coal miners, when, in fact, coal is, like, not good stuff. Oliver Millman, writing for The Guardian, nine out of every ten coal plants in the United States with reportable data have contaminated nearby groundwater, and this is no small thing. They're contaminating the groundwater from, this is from the coal ash, from the waste that the coal plants produce. 
We literally have hundreds of millions of tons of this stuff. American coal plants produce 100 million tons of coal ash a year. And they store it. There's 2 billion tons right now stored in the United States. And what's getting into the groundwater? I mean, this is literally all over the United States. Of the 265 U.S. power plants that monitor groundwater, 242 have reported unsafe levels of the following pollutants. Arsenic, which causes cancer, multiple types of cancer, and lithium, which is associated with neurological damage. Nine out of ten coal-fired power plants. I mean, this is crazy. Trump goes to CPAC and just lies through his teeth. And goes on and on and on with his lies. What's it going to take for Republicans to say, you know, enough already. This guy is a con man. He's a fraud. His family are frauds. He ran a phony university, Trump University, for which he paid a $25 million fine for fraud. And who was he defrauding? Mostly veterans. I don't know if it was mostly, but there were a lot of veterans. I mean, they were targeting veterans with Trump University. Jane Mayer in The New Yorker is reporting uh, just straight up for a uh, raw story, but this is in The New Yorker. Diana Falzone, she was a reporter over at Fox So-Called News, and she discovered before the election, before the 2016 election, that Trump had done payoffs to Stormy Daniels about his affair with a porn star. And she went to Fox News executive Ken LaCorte, and he says, good reporting, kiddo, but Rupert wants Donald Trump to win, so just let it go. She continues investigating and discovers that not only did that happen, but that the National Enquirer is doing these catch-and-kill things for Trump. And Fox continues to refuse to publish her stuff. In 2017, January 2017, she gets demoted at Fox. She sues. They reach an out-of-court settlement. And she's got a non-disclosure agreement, so she won't talk about it. But, you know, Jane Mayer says she's got the facts. Donald Trump tells FEMA, this is in the Hill today, give Alabama the A-plus treatment, right? Because the tornadoes, in part fueled by climate change, these horrible tornadoes, he says, help out Alabama, right? That's my base. Puerto Rico, 2,975 people killed by Hurricane Maria. No, we're going to cut off their FEMA funds. California? Horrible wildfires. Last year, he threatened to pull the FEMA funding for California. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for Republicans to figure out that this guy is a con man? I'm beginning to think that there's almost nothing, but I don't know. I mean, you know, what's it going to take? Here's the point. Trump's approval ratings are up three points now. He's in the same approval area where Bill Clinton was at this point in his presidency. Donald Trump is. With all this stuff on the ground. What's it gonna what do you think it's gonna take? And let me add to that, why are Democrats listening to Republicans about moving to the center? I mean, you've got Republicans out there who and, and you see them on TV all the time if you watch CNN or MSNBC or the weekend political shows on the big networks, you see these Republicans very thoughtfully, particularly the Republican commentators, many of them don't even call themselves Republicans anymore and they'll just say, 
whoa, the Democratic Party is going way to the left. Medicare for all, are you kidding? That's extremism. It's not extremism. That's what the majority of Americans want, number one. And it's what every other democracy, fully developed democracy, the 34 most developed countries in the world, the OECD countries, 33 of them have national health care systems of one form or another. There's a lot of different ways to do that. But they all agree that health care is a right, not a privilege. Only the United States do we say that health care is a privilege. And if you want it, you have to buy it. You either have to pay out of your pocket. Or you have to buy it through you know, a bunch of gangster banks who call themselves health insurance companies. We're the only country that does that. Fascinating conversation. Uncle Joe posts this over at uh, DU, but it's, it's a Vox.com interview, actually. I printed out the whole interview. The take-home point is absolutely brilliant. This is from Brad Long. He's a, you know, a Clinton-era Democratic consultant guy you know, who's, quote, a centrist, or was. And he's now saying, screw that. Enough already. We've tried to be the nice Democrats in the middle now, you know, through the Clinton presidencies and the Obama presidency. And what did it get us? Nothing. We thought we could bring the Republicans in. We thought we could work collaboratively with them. Bill Clinton did away with welfare as we know it. He said the era of big government is over. He did what Jude Wininsky predicted would happen if the Republicans screamed loudly enough about the deficit when a Democrat was in the White House. He cut the social safety net. Did the Republicans applaud him? Did they say something? Well, here's the, here's the quote. He says, Barack Obama rolls into office with Mitt Romney's health care policy. Remember that? Romney care? That this is, you know, Obamacare is virtually identical to what Massachusetts did when Mitt Romney was governor. Okay. Barack Obama rolls into office with Mitt Romney's health care plan, with John McCain's climate policy. That was cap and trade, right? And it really wasn't even John McCain's. It was really George Herbert Walker Bush's. He did it back in the 90s when he was president, the, this whole cap and trade program with sulfur dioxide to stop acid rain. And it worked, by the way. But nonetheless, Barack Obama rolls into office with Mitt Romney's health care policy, John McCain's climate policy, and Bill Clinton's tax policy, and, and, which is just slightly increased taxes on very, very rich people, right? Just slightly. Yeah, there was two or three points. And, of course, the Republicans predicted the world's going to end. Actually, it helped the economy in both cases. But it was just this little tiny thing. Bill Clinton's tax policy and George H.W. Bush's foreign policy to long notes. And did George H.W. Bush, did Mitt Romney, did John McCain say a single good word about anything Barack Obama did ever did over the course of eight solid years? No, they effing did not. And no, they did not. There's, you know, this, this whole idea of, oh, you know, we just need to move to the center. I think that we need to move to where the American people are as a party. The American people want higher taxes on really rich people. They want the big banks to be broken up. They want the big corporations and the big monopolies broken up so that small family-owned businesses can once again survive in small-town America and in neighborhoods in big-city America. They want to be protected from coal power plant pollution and not have arsenic and lithium and other poisonous stuff in their water. The American people want the EPA to be strong and protected. They want those regulations. Now you've got this guy Wheeler, who's a coal industry lobbyist, who last week was confirmed by the Senate as the head of the EPA. This is not what the American public wants. Oh, but we've got to move to the middle. Really? 
But in any case, what's it going to take for Republicans to say enough? And when are Democrats going to stop listening to them? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. But them, of course, being Republicans. When are Democrats going to stop listening to Republican consultants and start listening to the American people? John in Minneapolis. I just wanted to say that I think uh, the Republicans are just impervious to reason. They're impervious to what Americans want. They're so corrupted in their mind, in their soul, in their heart, that they can't really think anymore in terms of caring about the rest of us. It's all about them. And then you have members of the Democratic Party who want to communicate with them as if you can communicate with people that are no longer dealing with reason anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I think there are several things going on. I think that those Democrats probably are more concerned about their own political career than they are about the American people. I think that they say they are, but what they want to do is just give us a few crumbs and maybe that'll help the upper middle class or the people that they like to appeal to and everything will be fine. And Wall Street only cares about making money. So if the political economy is so corrupted, they could care less. It's all about making money. I think that's where Chuck Schumer is. But the progressives actually have a vision that makes sense. And that is something that we just need to grow. You're doing a great job by bringing light to these issues through the media. We need to grow that media to the point where people can't escape from it. If I go down into the deepest, darkest red state, I'm able to get free speech TV. I want to move in a positive direction, but we can't be naive either. So that's all I wanted to say. Absolutely agreed. And well said. John, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Bob in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Bob, what's up? How are you doing there, Tom? Good. Got all your books, and you're right on on all the issues. Real quick, uh, one thing, no, I don't see any way that this is going to change things, and I'll give you a couple reasons. One is, been across the country recently to California. Every hotel in the morning has Fox News on. When you get up in the morning, they probably have it on all day. And we were in a restaurant in Oceanside, and there was four evangelicals sitting behind me, and they were talking about how Trump was being prosecuted, and he was a good Christian, and that the Democrats were basically trying to take him down. One of the things that Trump said in his two-hour Adderall-fueled rant at CPAC was that Republicans should never, never say Democratic Party. They should always say Democrat Party. He actually came out and used Joe McCarthy's old slur against the Democratic Party. They're they're cut out of the same mold as Trump, so I'll let you go, Tom. you got callers waiting. Thank you very much, Bob. Good talking with you. Rick in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, Rick, your thoughts. Mr. Hartman, thanks for taking my call. Sure. First of all, I want to let you know I'm a veteran. I was on a Navy vessel the day that the Marines were killed in Beirut, rise above that city. My wife is a veteran. She's Uh served in the United States Army. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that out loud when, when you hear my criticism. I'm scared right now. And the bottom line is, what are we going to say to Republicans? I've called you several times and told you, point blank, you do a great job. You scream really loud. But until white people understand, and I know it's hard for white people to talk to white people. I understand that it's non-existent almost for black people to talk to white people in this climate. I'm telling you, until white people hold white people accountable, I'm watching CNN over the weekend. It's ridiculous the way they do the news now. The even-handedness, they try to spread the news out. All I want from the news is the truth. 
Mm-hmm. Tell me the truth, and I'll make up my mind. Okay. Yeah. The bottom line: What did you do, Republican? I say treat them like you treated cigarette smokers. Yeah. Do, yeah. Did you remember that? Yeah. Shame them. Yeah. Do, do, do you remember that you can't pull a cigarette out now? You can't sit there and talk this nonsense anymore. Yeah. It's not true. It's yeah. not true. That's a good point, Rick. That's a good point. Um, and 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 uh, you know, I, you, you, in fact, thank you, Rick. Thanks for the call. It makes you wonder: Are there parts of America? Where Republicans, I, I'm guessing there probably are, you know, some, some liberal enclaves or somebody would be embarrassed to wear a MAGA hat or something like that. Other places, obviously, where they're proud to. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold ask for their free gold protection guide, and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. What's it going to take for Republicans to abandon Trump? I'm talking to average Republican voters. And what's it going to take for Democrats to stop taking advice from Republicans? You're listening to Tom Hartman. There were a number of very troubling things with Michael Cohen's testimony. Just, you know, a couple of specific issues around all this. Thugocracy. You know, there's, I'm not sure this is a word or if I'm inventing a word, but it seems like thugocracy is the new model for nations, right? It's been elevated from a few obscure little countries all the way to the United States of America, where we have a thug in the White House right now. And uh, I mean, even you know, Matt Gates, the Republican congressman who tried to stare down Michael Cohen and tweeted to him that his wife would not be faithful to him while he was in prison. And then it was overheard talking to Trump in Hanoi saying, yeah, glad I was able to do it for you. I mean, these guys are thugs. And Michael Cohen said that Trump was not joking when he said he could kill people. And on top of that, that if he did kill somebody on Fifth Avenue, his supporters would stand with him, that this was not a joke. Well, actually, Trump has already done that. He's already killed people. His so-called zero tolerance policy has already killed two little children, you know, a seven-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl, as I recall. And the Jerry Falwells of the world still support him. His stuck-in-fox-newsland acolytes still support him. Cohen said that uh, Trump supporters, in addition, would start a second U.S. civil war. We'll get to both of those in just a second. You know, thugs all over the world have been doing this for a long time. And now we have the president of the United States who has spent two years praising specifically these thugs and sucking up to them leaders of countries that have been progressively moving away from democracy and toward oligarchy and autocracy, strongmen, you know, uh, Bashir, Kim, Duterte, Putin, Bolsonaro, suggesting to these people, Trump telling these people that they should continue with campaigns, terror campaigns in some cases against their own people, their destruction of the free press, anything left of democracy in their regions, 
of all the reasons to impeach this mob boss in the White House, Donald Trump, this, in my opinion, is the strongest. The United States, we need to step back from the edge of being a thugocracy. And that begins with nullifying the corrupted election of 2016, in my humble opinion. Here's Michael Cohen talking about how he thinks that if Donald Trump loses the election in 2020, he will not leave office peacefully. Now, keep in mind, the last time we had a concern like this was in the election of 1800, when Jefferson won over John Adams, and Adams had just passed the Alien Sedition Acts and was literally throwing people in prison for criticizing him in the newspapers and shutting down newspapers. I mean, John Adams was moving us in that direction. And Jefferson won the election, and there was a serious concern. This is why it was referred to as the American Revolution of 1800. In fact, Dan Sisson wrote a book, and I contributed to it, of that title. There was a serious concern. And is Michael Cohen saying that, you know, is this something like that? Well, check this out. Given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. And this That's scary, serious stuff. And he goes on to say, you know, this is based on, you know, having worked with this guy, known this guy for a decade. He's characterizing Donald Trump as somebody who, who is not like a mob boss, is a mob boss. Somebody who destroys other people and delights in it. Somebody who rules with fear. Somebody who gets everybody around him to lie for him every single day. And he's now, you know, Trump himself lying, you know, a dozen times or more a day every single day. And now he's got the entire Republican Party doing it. And Cohen also, you know, talking about Trump said he could kill people. It was not a metaphor. Here it goes. And when Mr. Trump turned around early in the campaign and said... I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. I want to be very clear. He's not choking. He's telling you the truth. You see, you don't know him. I do. You don't know him. I do. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. And Trump didn't just say he'd get away with it. He said that his supporters would continue to support him. I mean, how can this not be a thugocracy? And what do we do with this? You know, obviously a call for impeachment, but, you know, that's going to be a heavy lift. You're going to have to have two-thirds of the senators agree to impeach Donald Trump, which means that the Republicans are going to have to, well, you know, who knows? I mean, it's a lot's going to depend, I suppose, on what is found in, in these hearings. And apropos of that, it's not just Donald Trump. It's the Trump crime family. It's Donald, it's Ivanka, it's Jared, it's Don Jr. and Eric. And presumably Eric's wife, Laura, who does a lot of the PR for the Trump administration, runs her own little TV show on the Internet for him. And now you've got, you know, Ivanka coming out on Fox News, talking to uh, Steve Hilton, Fox uh, host, about the Green New Deal. And the Green New Deal has basically, a, you know, a guarantee of a job in it. You know, if you can't get a job in the private sector, the government will put you to work. Well, that's what the New Deal did. That was the, the core of the New Deal. If you can't find a job, the government will be the employer of last resort. And Ivanka Trump says, I think that this idea of a guaranteed minimum is not something most people want. They want the ability to be able to secure a job. They want the ability to live in a country where there's a potential for upward mobility. And Elizabeth Spears is writing about this over at the Washington Post. The headline, Ivanka Trump doesn't understand work. No one in the Trump administration does. The obvious consequences of putting people who are born rich in charge of the government. The simple fact of the matter is that Ivanka Trump is living on money 
that she inherited from her grandfather through her father. Three generations of inherited wealth, or two generations of inherited wealth, three generations of wealth, and she's lecturing us on how we all would really rather just be out there, just thrown out into the labor market and you know, just pedal as fast as you can and get whatever you can and that sort of thing. This is what's going on. This is the Republican Party now. It's the party of this extraordinary elite snobbery of people born to extraordinary wealth looking down their nose at us and lecturing us on how, well, you know, health care? How am I supposed to pay for that? I'm a billionaire. You want to raise my taxes? I'm not going to put up with that. You think you should deserve health care? Come on. Health care is not a right. It's a privilege. A job? A job is not a right. It's a privilege. Housing? Clothing, food, those are privileges. You have to work for those. And you won't work for those unless you're scared and hungry and starving because that's the billionaire credo, is you got to scare the crap out of average working people or else they won't do whatever the billionaire tells them to do. I should say right-wing billionaire. I, I realize there's some, some very good left-wing billionaires out there, but you get what I'm saying. The conservatives, let's say. Susan watching Free Speech TV in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I liked the man who testified. I feel he's an honest person. I especially like the ending when the man who ran the, you know, the Democratic man. Who right, Elijah him. Cummings. Yeah, yes. That brought well, me he, to tears. Yes. Well, it almost got him to tears. That's mm -hmm. what I felt, Tom. And I hope we can get rid of yeah. Trump, yes. Yeah. Because I'm ill at this point, and almost 80, and he drives me wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, hang in there, Susan. <laughs> I will. Susan, thank you for the call. Travis in El Dorado, Illinois. Hey, Travis, what's up? You know, Michael Cohen made that comment about Trump literally saying that he can shoot people on Fifth Avenue and get right. away with it because his supporters will still support him. And I think that, unfortunately, that his supporters would actually support that because Donald Trump fully understands who his constituency is. Right, so here's the question. Let's assume that Trump knows that, that Cohen knows that, that what Cohen said was something that he deeply mm -hmm. believes. Do you think that if Trump put out the call, let's say he loses the election, and he puts out the call and says, I'm going to stay in the White House, I'm not going to leave and let Bernie Sanders come in, or Elizabeth Warren, or Cory Booker, or whoever it may be, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let them take over the White House. And I'm calling for, you know, 20,000 armed militiamen to come to Washington, D.C. and form a ring around the White House, for example. Do you think it would happen? I truly believe that that would happen. Just look at that guy that went into New York over there to that pizza parlor who believed that, you know, crackpot yeah. conspiracy yeah. theory nonsense who was going in there to, quote-unquote, protect the children that weren't even in the basement of a place that didn't have a basement. Yeah, yeah. That's a point. That's a point. Travis, thank you for the call. Uh, this is serious stuff.
My friends at X-Chair are at it again, constantly tinkering to make an already superior product even better so you can work in even more comfort and be that much more productive. Now you can enhance your X-Chair's performance and protect your floors with incredible X-Wheel blade casters. These urethane wheels are driven by butter smooth, whisper quiet ball bearings and are built to last. As if the X-Chair isn't comfortable enough, now you can add a set of X-Wheels and take your performance to the next level. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can take your comfort and productivity into the stratosphere by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. You know, a caller just made the point that, you know, I asked the question, if Donald Trump, if he loses the 2020 election, if the Democrats have not been successful in impeaching him, and I, I consider that at, even at this point to be pretty unlikely, although one never knows, but you've got to have two thirds of the Senate voting to impeach. It has never happened in the history of the country. Right. So it's not something that's highly likely, shall we say. And so let's say that they don't impeach him and that he makes it to 2020 and he loses the election in November, which I think is also very likely, you know, given his behavior and his popularity ratings and everything else. What happens if he shouts out to the armed militia base, to these sheriff's groups like we had uh, Sheriff Mack on the other day? I don't know how Sheriff Mack would respond. It'd be an interesting question to put to him and his friends with the Oath Keepers and groups like that. Or if he just shouts out in general, or doesn't even do it himself, you know, if it's being done by his proxies, like the people who promoted that pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. conspiracy, you know, where the guy showed up with a rifle and put a bullet through the ceiling looking for those children who were hidden in the basement by Hillary Clinton when there's no basement to the building. I mean, it was a complete hoax, but it had been hyped in right-wing media and across social media in a way that literally caused probably hundreds of thousands of people to believe it was true, and one of them took a gun there. So what happens if Donald Trump says, you know, I need 20,000 armed men to come encircle the White House because I'm not going to leave? What happens if there's basically a call in right-wing media on Fox News or on right-wing hate radio or even just exclusively on social media. What if that call is not even orchestrated by the United States? You know, Kim Jong-un's nuclear is getting a lot of attention. Donald Trump just went over and this was one of the biggest diplomatic disasters in the history of the United States. This is why you negotiate agreements in advance and when the leaders show up, it's basically to sign the deal, shake hands and make nice with each other. Trump thought he could negotiate with a guy whose family has been negotiating with the United States and the world for like 80 years and always winning or always having things done on their terms. And Trump thought he could beat this guy, this 35-year-old dictator who killed his brother, who killed his uncle. Otto Warmbier begged on live television. It was a show trial. There's no way that Kim didn't know what was going on. It was a show trial. It was on international television. Please give me my life back. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, Otto Warmbier was saying. And we all watched it on television. And then Kim had his thugs beat him into a coma. And Donald Trump says, well, I believe him. He didn't know anything about it. I mean, that's how pathetic it is. But his followers are still saying, I saw that on TV. They stuck a microphone in one of his followers' faces and said, well, what do you think about that? And the guy said, well, you know, he's trying.
Really? No, he's not. He's giving credibility to one of the worst dictators in the world. But my point where I was going with that is that while Kim's nuclear weapons are a concern and his huge army, his million man army is a concern, perhaps a bigger concern is that he's got extraordinary internet capabilities. He's got some of the best hackers in the world. Look what they did to Sony. When Sony released that movie that made fun of Kim, they took down their websites and published the emails of their executives. So what happens if Kim or if uh, China or if Russia or if some other country that's not real happy with us at the moment, Iran, Saudi Arabia, you name it, basically launches what looks like a domestic call for civil war after Trump loses the 2020 election? What happens? Do you think that's even possible? I think, frankly, in the 1850s, the, 18, the early 1860s, the idea that Americans would take arms up against each other, that brother would shoot brother, was unimaginable to most people. And then it happened. And not just here, by the way. This has happened repeatedly all over the world. Michael Cohen says Trump thinks he can do it. Scary stuff. So anyhow, back to our question of, you know, what happens if Trump says, I ain't leaving? Leroy in Washington, D.C. Your thoughts, Leroy? Hey, love your show. Thank you. Um, wow, this is interesting because um, my spirit told me when Trump became elected, that was the reason why they put him in office because of the threat of tyranny and killings. And I had intuitively believed that had they not allowed him to be the president, that the militias that would have gone out and started shooting people. Now you see, I think it's too late for that. I think we've seen the dry run. We've seen the killing in the mosque. We've seen the two black people got shot in the um, supermarkets. We've seen the young lady getting killed in North Carolina. So it's the cat is out the bag. So Trump yeah. is really... Dylan Roof in the church. Yeah, he was surprised that he would actually be elected. And now... They have him under control. So it's not even what Trump can do is that Trump is under Trump is even threatened. His family is even in danger because if they because the Civil War, this is the chance, the, the, the best chance they ever had of trying to get the country back again is when Donald Trump appealed to that. So are you saying, Leroy, that you think that Trump is dancing to the tune of the hard right racists and whatnot, as opposed to them dancing to his tune? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I that think, makes a lot of sense. I think, I think the sad part about it is that I think the, the sad part about the, the American people is that we are not prepared because we're hoping for a normal, for it to go back to something right. old. These people are willing to die before going back. They've tasted the blood. They're in position. They already stacked the courts. And so they're in position now. The recruitment is up. I've driven down all South Carolina. The Confederate flag is everywhere. The recruitment is high. And I didn't want to believe it until I heard it. But you know what? I've been calling you for the first time because my intuition was the reason why they gave him the presidency because if they hadn't, this is what these people would have done. They were yeah. poised and ready to go out. So I don't know what we can do, but I think we shouldn't fool ourselves in thinking that the old norm, preparing for an old norm is dangerous. Yeah. That's what I, I want to say. And that's an important point. Leroy, thank you. Thank you very much. Gail in Antelope, California. Hey, Gail, what's up? Hey, Tom. Listen, there's something that's just come to mind as I'm listening to your show. 
we tend to think of Donald Trump as president, and when we pin that label on him, we expect presidential behavior from him. He's not really president. What he is, if you look at him, he is a cult leader. And you have to look at him as a cult leader, like Hitler was a cult leader. The people that follow him, the more power a cult leader gets, the crazier they get, and the more brainwashed and fervent their followers get. So in terms of will there be a peaceful transition of power if he loses, no, I don't think so, for truth's reason. He knows that once he leaves office, even though he has the protection right now of currently not being able to be indicted, once he leaves office, he's going to be facing some heavy criminal penalties, and he knows that. So he is not going to go gentle into that good night. The other thing is, is if there is that kind of discord, that plays right into Putin's hands and Putin's goal, because his goal is to sow seeds in a uh, dissent in a democracy and try to take it down. So that's going to play into Putin's And I would hands. say it's not just Putin. I would say that there, there, is, a, there, there is an international movement toward, toward yep. essentially violent oligarchy and uh, yep. all over the world and all these guys you know duterte uh what's the guy in turkey erdogan um erdogan. You know, they're 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 in fact trump you know pulled out of syria because erdogan called him up and ordered him to he's got a he's got a trump property in turkey yep. um it's well, like i said with cult leaders the more power they get the loonier they get yeah and that so, is that is I mean, something to worry that, about that explains his behavior to a t yeah, yeah, Gail, thank you. Um, I can't dispute that. Larry in Santa Monica. Larry? Yeah, hey, Tom. Yeah, I'm not as alarmed. I don't think if, if if Trump does refuse to leave, which I don't think he will, but it's possible. You know, this guy, He's a, you never know what you're going to get with him. But if he does refuse to leave, I think that there will be some sort of pushback. But, you know, the average Trump voter is, makes like $70,000 a year. I don't think that kind of person is going to turn out into the street with a gun. And these people, these Confederates... These Southern people, they've always been around. They've always been prone to violence. That's nothing new. And if they do raise their head, they'll be quickly put down. I mean, yeah, that statistic, though, Larry, I, you know, I get it that, you know, basically wealthy white people, people making more than $70,000 a year, massively voted for Donald Trump. And they did it because they knew that if, the, you know, you have a Republican House, Senate and president, you're going to get a giant tax cut. They were just voting their economic self-interest. But I think that what has happened in the last two years is that while he might have lost that cohort, I mean, the Republican Party seems to have shrunk by about five or six percent. The percentage of people in the Republican Party who love Trump is up to 89 percent right now. And I think that they are actually the folks who are living economically by their fingernails across the United States. I mean, in many cases, probably who didn't even vote. But those are the people who are wearing the MAGA hats and flying the Confederate flag and walking around with their guns hanging out. But I don't think that there are enough of them that would cause a civil war in this country. I just I don't think that there are. And again, if these people were to raise their head violently, they'd be quickly put down. And it might actually be a good thing because we would actually be able to see who these radicals actually are. And people who don't want to be identified with them that are Republicans will break away and these people can become marginalized as they have been for the past 40 something years. Well, and longer than that, I mean, that's what George Washington did when he put down the Shays Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion. In both cases, you know, these were essentially political rebellions. One was around taxes. The other one I don't recall, but I think it was the same in both cases. I mean, in one of them, he actually led the, the soldiers in, as I recall. Yeah, these people have been around for a long time. These are the rabble. Hillary Clinton was correct. These people are deplorable. And, you know, again, if they want to be violent, 
do it at their own peril. Their arms are not long enough to box with God. I mean, the government will quickly put them down, and then we can go on about our business. So I'm not that concerned about it. Okay. Well, you know, from your lips to God's ears, Larry, I hope you're right. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, your thoughts? Yes. Hello, Tom. One of the things that when I was listening to Michael Cohen, the thing that I keep hearing and I keep wondering about, and I think you probably could uh, talk to a lot of the people about, is the Republicans are so worried about him being the liar, which we all know he is. I think they um, accept uh, the fact about Trump's lying. They accept that. They know it. But why can't our voters understand about his lying about the payoffs to his girlfriend, the Republicans know about that. They don't question whether he had the girlfriends and look back what they all impeached Clinton for. Yeah. Simple things like that. Have they, they, Nancy, they impeached Clinton much. for being a Democrat. That's, that's, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that's the but bottom why line. Don't the, why don't the Democrats keep, why don't they even bring that up? Well, because they don't have, right now, I think if, if they had the control of the Senate and had the kind of majorities in the Senate and the House that the Republicans had during the Gingrich Revolution, they probably would. But, you know, right now... So why it's don't they even bring it up so the public hears it more? I'm a Democrat. Right. And I'm a progressive. I'm that much more liberal. But I think those Republicans who have, they say, oh, I'm, I'm right for life. And I, I go to church all the time. And I want, I would think they would, I think they could accuse them and say, well, come on. Why don't you, why do you accept that? One of the Trump? groups, but Nancy, one of the groups that is most solidly supportive of Donald Trump right now are white evangelicals. Yes. I mean, and, and do, do they talk about that to them, though? Well, I, you I know, don't know. They've that. got this whole narrative that he is uh, Cyrus was the king who was not Jewish, but took the Jews in and protected them. And they're literally the white evangelicals are talking about Donald Trump as King Cyrus. That, that is a thing, a big thing among white evangelical circles right now that he's he may not be a true Christian, but he's at least willing to give lip service to it. And he's going to keep tax, you know, our, our churches tax exempt, even though they engage in political activity. And he's going to end abortion across the country. and He's going to put women back in their place and put Jesus back into the Constitution. It's scary stuff. Nancy, I got to run, but thank you for the call. What most people don't realize about working in radio is that it's hungry work. I mean it. And you know cooking can seem like a chore, but that's where HelloFresh comes in. They take the guesswork out of cooking by offering a wide-ranging menu with classics that we know and love like the gorgeous greens farro bowl or the delicious grilled sriracha glazed salmon to recipes you might not be as familiar with courtesy of their gourmet menu. Get fresh and affordable, high-quality ingredients delivered right to your doorstep, pre-measured. So all you have to do is follow the recipe. It could not be easier. That's what makes HelloFresh America's number one meal kit. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's HelloFresh.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. Get a total of $60 off. That's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash Tom. That's HelloFresh.com slash T-H-O-M. HelloFresh.com slash Tom. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. 
Dr. Dina Grayson is on the line with us. She is a physician and an MD. She's a biochemist, a PhD, and a former Democratic candidate for Florida's 9th District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Dina Grayson, D-E-N-A, Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N.com, like as in Allen, is her website, and her Twitter handle is Dr. Dina Grayson, D-R Dina Grayson. Dr. Grayson, welcome to the program. Tom, thanks so much for having me. So I was watching TV and Cohen was testifying and I'm looking over his shoulder and I see this woman sitting in the back row and I said to Louise, she looks awful familiar. Is that Dina Gray? Was, was that you? That was me sitting right over Michael Cohen's left shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, as somebody who is not just a smart person, but also, you know, very engaged in Democratic Party politics, what was your sense of what happened in that room that we might not have gotten from watching it on TV? What what did we miss? Well, I think that one of the reasons I went to the hearing really was there were two main reasons. Number one is, just as you said, Tom, it's really different when you're in the room. You get the vibe. You can actually watch the lawmakers as they're questioning the witness as well as I actually interacted with Mr. Cohen's entourage, including his attorney. But I also wanted to represent all of us in that room. I felt that it was this was a historic hearing. You know, I think that there were moments that were truly poignant. You know, I think that Mr. Cohen came across as extremely, I think, credible and sincere. And there were parts where, you know, I was sitting behind him and I could tell that he was weeping. Hmm. And I could tell by the expressions on the lawmakers' faces that his testimony and certain aspects of it was moving to him. And yeah. I actually spoke with some of the members afterward about that. As well, well, and I saw that in the wrap-up. That was when it was most clear to me that that was you sitting behind him and you were nodding your head along with him as, A, as he was making his closing statements. And then, you know, when uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings was speaking and it nearly brought me to tears. One of the things we rarely saw were the faces of the Republicans in the room, unless they happened to be on camera because <laughs> they were speaking. How were they dealing with this? I mean, here, they're all there trying to defend a clearly criminal president or a president who's engaged in a criminal act, shall we say, has not yet been convicted. And here were these allegations of criminality, and really, they didn't even want to go near this. How, how were they reacting? What were you seeing there? Well, with the exception of Justin Amash, and Justin Amash is a Republican who's kind of known for swimming upstream, so I give him a ton of credit for that. Yeah. With that one exception, you know, what was really pathetic is that we have this hearing that literally is probably the most important hearing that any of these lawmakers have ever attended or participated in in their entire careers. And the vast majority of them yielded back their time to the chair, meaning they just didn't even want to ask questions. I mean, that's just pathetic and ridiculous. So really what we saw was the complicit Republican Party. Delay, obfuscation, distraction, deflection. I mean, one guy was talking about MS-13 and infrastructure. <laughs> that oh my God. nothing to do with Michael Cohen. I, right. I, you know, I couldn't help but roll my eyes. I swear I thought they were going to roll out of my head. So that was the typical Republican Party. But I think that speaks volumes, Tom, because they ain't got nothing. I mean, really, what they should have done was try to discredit him. But they really struggled because guess what? Cohen brought receipts. He had receipts. Yeah. And because of his demeanor, he really was. And, you know, a lot of criminal prosecutors have discussed this. He showed remorse. 
he accepted the responsibility for his crimes. I mean, you know, he was part of the Trump crime family for a very long time. So he, you know, he committed, he's a felon. And he readily admitted it. And he expressed regret and remorse and shame. And, you know, I spoke with Chairman Cummings after the hearing for quite a while. Mm. And, you know, the word that we both said was redemption. And mm. I think that that was really what Mr. Cullen was going for. And I think he got it. And, and I think that the Republicans saw that. I think, you know, they really, they did a very poor job. But then again, there is no defense for Donald Trump. Yeah, no, I get that. And I think everybody watching TV got that. And that's why I was curious to ask you, what were the things that we missed? So my last question has to do with Matt Getz, uh, G-A-E-T-Z. This Republican congressman, is he from Florida? Am I remembering that? Oh, goodness. That right? of, yes, he is. Yeah, okay. So that was my Staying recollection. on our state. Yeah. You know, he tweeted the day before the testimony or two days before the testimony to Michael Cohen right. saying that his wife wouldn't be faithful to him while he's in prison and basically threatening him. He had to walk that back because Nancy Pelosi, uh, I think, threatened him with an ethics inquiry, which apparently is happening anyway. The Florida bar is now looking into whether they should even pull his law license. I mean, that was like the kind of thing that you would expect out of the Genovese crime family, the remaining patriarch of which, by the way, day before yesterday or yesterday made a comment to a reporter that he thinks that Cohen will not survive going to prison because he said the people in prison love Trump, you know, the white supremacists in prison, the major gang among white people in prison are these various white supremacist groups and they will take him down, which is a chilling thought. But I understand that Mr. Gates, uh, Congressman Gates was in the room and was positioning himself so that Michael Cohen could see him so that he could basically, you know, stare at Cohen and threaten him. That's what I read. But I wasn't in the room. You were. Is that what happened? Tom, that is a thousand percent what happened. And in fact, I took, uh, you know, I did take a picture of him. You're not really kind of supposed to, but I couldn't help it. I was stunned. You know, first of all, this guy, Matt Gates, he's not even on the committee. So he shows up. I mean, like, shouldn't he be doing his job? So he shows up to this committee hearing the day after this threatening tweet, which frankly was witness intimidation or witness tampering, which is a felony. And Congresswoman Plaskett actually recommended that he be investigated criminally. And I fully agree with that. And he was staring down Cohen. I have a picture of it. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't believe it. He was literally staring him down with his arms crossed. And in particular, it was during the time that Michael Cohen was testifying about the bombshell phone call between Roger Stone and Donald Trump, where Roger Stone was telling uh, Mr. Trump about his phone call with Julian Assange and that WikiLeaks was going to dump the emails that had been stolen by Russia. I mean, total collusion here, smoking gun. And he was staring down Cohen. It's, it was unbelievable. It's incredible. It, it, and, literally, it was out of the Godfather. Yeah, literally. and, and apparently like while, while Trump was flying back from North Korea or sometime around there, Trump used the equipment of, you know, all that super high-tech stuff on Air Force One to be able to call anybody anywhere. And, and according to several people who overheard the conversation, he called Congressman Gates and thanked him for going after Cohen like that. Well, so. I mean, look, you know, The Trump family, their business model, has been to launder money for the mob for decades. Trump's father laundered money for the Italian mob, and his son Donald has been laundering money for the Russian mob for a very long time, as the American public is going to hear when Felix Sater, who is a convicted Russian mobster, 
and has been an FBI informant for decades. He is going to testify openly in front of the House Intelligence Committee right, in the, the middle 14th. of the month, on March 14th. Yeah. And look, he had an, not only did he have an office in Trump Tower, this mobster, Felix Sater, his office was on the same floor as Trump's and became Michael Cohen's office. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I did not know that. I learned that from Mr. Cohen during the hearing, which was just uh, stunning. And, you know, look, I, Felix Sater has been laundering money into the country for the Russian mob for a long time and laundering it through Trump property. This is the business model. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Dr. Dina Grayson, her website, dinagrayson.com. You can tweet her at Dr. Dina Grayson, MD, PhD. Dr. Grayson, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Tom. My pleasure. Great talking with you. Welcome back. Mark in San Diego. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, you're asking uh, what's it going to take for the Republicans to abandon Trump. I mean, honestly, if they haven't done it after two years of this madness, it ain't going to happen. And, 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 and for Democrats to stop listening to Republicans, not only that, they got to stop listening to these pundits. You, you can't turn on TV without some of these pundits saying, oh, you know, the Democratic Party's moving too far to the left. And I'm talking about MSNBC. I saw Chuck Todd and a couple other people say the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. You have a guy who lost by three million votes. Did he go in there and bend over backwards and try to work with Democrats? No. He went in there and acted like he had a mandate. He lost by three million votes. The next Democratic president, which hopefully will be 2020, has got to go in there and kick some you-know-what. He's got to go in there. He'll hopefully have a mandate. Obama went in there with a clear mandate, and he went over backwards to work with these people who were dedicated to making him a one-term president. Yeah, and he kept we compromising got- on Obamacare to try to get Republican votes and ended up, you know, passed Congress with zero Republican votes in the House. Zero or the Republican votes. Exactly. And uh, the next, we have got it. You can't have somebody like Amy Klobuchar who touts her ability to work across the aisle. That's not going to happen. This is open warfare now, unfortunately, that that's all because of the Republicans. Who are not a, they're not a political party. They're a cult. They're like ISIS. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but you cannot work with people like that. You've got to go in there and say, look, you either are with us or get the heck out of the way. That's the kind of person we got to get in there. Well, and, 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 you know, this is Joe Biden is taking a lot of grief right now because he said over the weekend that Mike Pence was a decent man. I, I don't think there's anything decent about Mike Pence, frankly. I've debated Mike well, Pence. He is not decent. But, you know, that said, I think that whether our nominee is Amy Klobuchar, who talks about working across the aisle proudly and good on her on some of the stuff that she's done or joe biden who's done some some good stuff and has a record that's a little spotty in some areas um number one anything's better than trump number two i believe in political redemption i you know the 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 old the old story about politicians is that you know politicians don't lead parades they look for parades and when they see a big enough parade they jump in front of it and hoist the flag and say this is my parade and frankly that's what franklin roosevelt did franklin roosevelt was a you know a a relatively corrupt machine politician out of new york who was on the edge of being indicted for bribing a federal judge and you know when he became president but he rose to the occasion lyndon johnson was an incredible 
incredibly corrupt Texas politician. He was accused of having one of his political opponents, uh, you know, murdered. It pro almost certainly did not happen, but but people in Texas thought it was entirely possible. And and look, he brought us the Great Society. I mean, he 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 brought he literally brought us Medicare. He brought us the Civil Rights Act. He brought us the Voting Rights Act, and he pushed those things through. He 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 had his moment of redemption. So. I'm not giving up on anybody, Mark. You know, I, I think it's possible for all of them, you know, but it, it, it's going to depend on that parade. And that's you and me and everybody else who's listening or watching and, and you know, everybody else in the Democratic Party, uh, not as Donald Trump says, it should be called the Democrat Party. But, you know, I get what you're saying. Mark, thank you for the call. Chris in Port Orchard, Washington. Hey, Chris, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? I'm actually wanted your opinion on Bernie. I'm a big fan of Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. um, my concern is I feel he probably is not going to win based on the fact that, you know, what had happened in 2016, that the, you know, corporate media and the, you know, powers that be, the, the last thing they want is somebody who is a democratic socialist. Um, that takes away their power. And even though the people want him, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I think what's going to happen is, you know, that could cause Trump to win again as a result, you know, of what happened. And, and I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that and so what you thought here. Yeah. My main thought is that if Bernie becomes the nominee, and I think he's the only Democratic candidate who has who has uh, referred to himself as a democratic socialist, you know, for president. I mean, yes. AOC does, Correct. and there's a number of members of Congress who are uh, proud to say that they're democratic socialists, <laughs> but or, or right. social democrats, which is the phrase, the way that they describe it in Europe. Um, but but I, I remember uh, back when Rush Limbaugh in the, you know, Limbaugh went on the air in, as I recall, 87. <laughs> and when he, started, <laughs> when he started aggressively bashing liberals, by uh -huh. 92, when Bill Clinton ran for president, he was unwilling to call himself a liberal because Rush Limbaugh had turned liberal into a dirty word. So Clinton refused to yes. call himself a liberal in 92 and when he ran for re-election in 96. And then, you know, similarly, Al Gore, when he ran for president in 2000, refused to call himself a liberal. Again, they were afraid, frankly, of, uh, of Rush Limbaugh and, and Right Wing Hate Radio. They were just, you know, they were afraid that that label was going to hurt them or destroy them or something. And uh, what has happened since then is that we've reclaimed that word. And now you've got people who are proud to say that they're liberals. So if Bernie is the nominee, or if another nominee comes forward who calls themselves a democratic socialist, um, then uh -huh. I think that we need to rehabilitate that phrase the same way we did the word liberal. We need to start using it a lot. We need to start talking about our democratic socialist fire departments, our democratic socialist police departments, our democratic socialist schools, our democratic socialist public roads, our democratic socialist army, our democratic socialist, you know, I mean, just, you know, pick your publicly funded institution. It, that's democratic socialism. I fully agree. The mentality is that, you know, they hear that word socialism and it is like, you know, they, it is like a, a switch word to them and and they see it as is the evils you know that we're going to be like venezuela or we're going to be like you know yeah. this horrible country where you know there'll be bread lines and people don't understand that you know what he's talking about is this the democratic socialism of scandinavia 
and how, you know, they actually right. do take care of their citizens, where they provide health care and they provide schools. And, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't have that. But I'm wondering whether or not maybe things like Citizens United have to be removed in order for this to really happen. And I'm just curious. No, I think it's, would- it's just a matter of, of public education. And the, the, the challenge is going to be to get the Democratic Party talking with one voice, which is something that you know, has never happened in my lifetime, or at least not since Lyndon Johnson was president. Democrats are like herding cats. The Republicans, they you know, put it up the flagpole and everybody salutes it and says, sir, yes, sir, or even gives it a Sig Heil salute, but uh, not in the Democratic Party. So that's the first point to make. And the second is the extent to which we can rehabilitate or even highlight, hold up and point to the phrase democratic socialism and say, here's how it's working here. Here's how it works in Costa Rica. Here's how it works in the United States. Here's how it works in Europe. That's a thing. And then the third uh, thing I'd say in response to your question, Chris, is that I think this is generational. The people who are over 50, basically, who remember the Soviet socialist republics and socialism being the word that Mao used, those people are the ones who are most vulnerable to being freaked out by the word socialism. I think, you know, if you if you look at the polling, people under 30, socialism actually polls better than capitalism right now. So I think that there's a tremendous potential here. Chris, thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for watching our program. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us today. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 